Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Clippers podcast. I'm your host, DJ Foster. I am joined tonight by my guy, Jordan Heimer. Jordan, you are coming to us live from Staples Center where we just witnessed a beatdown of historic proportions. Uh... What did you see during the game? Are the is the Clippers defense really actually this good? Uh, let's hear it. Uh, well, I think the defense really is that good through the first seven games. But what I was more impressed with today was the offense. Uh, that was some real beautiful basketball from the first unit tonight. I know that that's been a little bit. If you, we've been nitpicking the six and one start, the starting five hasn't been quite as dominant as that unit usually is. But tonight. It was uh, basketball poetry. Uh, you had 18 assists from the starters on 25 made baskets. The ball was whipping around like crazy. The Pistons were somewhat ill-advisedly running this uh, kind of very aggressive trapping defensive scheme, and the Clippers were just punishing them for it. Uh, and what I was impressed by was the fact that all four of the Clippers' core four, especially Blake and Chris, but DeAndre and JJ too, when they got trapped, they were able to make the right pass, yeah. and the ball was skipping around the floor and open shots for everybody, and it was just really beautiful basketball um, by those guys, by that unit. Yeah, it, it looked like the Clippers were kind of playing like five on four the entire night with how open the cuts were and how every pick and roll seemed to create this like totally advantageous situation where the Clippers could just play downhill and just pick their spots and... It was it was a, a bloodbath. <laughs> well, part of that is just how great that first unit for the Clippers, when Blake is kind of on his point guard game, the passing is incredible. Yeah. And when you are not totally on your game defensively, which the Pistons were not tonight. No. I mean, we saw some fairly terrible defense from the Pistons on some possessions. But if you kind of throw a lazy trap at this Clippers team – and you don't do it in a way that cuts off the angles for the easy pass to the cutter or the kick out to the three, they're going to find it, and they're going to punish you. Um, and, you know, a second part of that is I think you're starting to see the confidence of that starting five uh, come to play a little bit more the last three games than the first four, uh, where, where you're really seeing the ability to reset into another action with eight, seven, six seconds left in the 24 clock. Right. You know, they're willing to give up a pretty good shot with 12 seconds left with the confidence that they're going to find a better shot with six seconds left or four seconds left. Right, and it looks like it's, it's left less of a panic situation when that happens now. It's just, okay, our initial action didn't work. 
we're moving on right to the next thing. Uh, Chris Paul tonight was crazy, crazy good, right? Uh, Chris was incredible. Uh, again, it's hard to, to know how much th- that is Chris being incredible, and some of it is just terrible transition defense by the Pistons. Like, for instance, nine of Chris's 24 points came on Ish Smith deciding that that's not a guy you need to cover at the three-point line <laughs> during transition, which is like a strange decision, and you'd think that would be on the scouting report, like Chris Paul, cover. Maybe, um, maybe Ish read his own scouting report and got it mixed up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a real problem. <laughs> not again! <laughs> back of my own basketball card uh but yeah chris was incredible and blake was incredible blake was an assist short of of a triple double which he was blatantly and unapologetically hunting in the last three or four possessions he was in the game which i love the ghost was, of ricky davis but you know ricky famously was looking for that final rebound which yeah. to me it's somehow much more shameful to ask other guys to clear out so you can grab a defensive board it seems like more honorable to just be like, give me the ball so I can try to create something and get somebody else a basket. That doesn't seem quite as tacky. Right. I, it, I love that uh, Ralph and Mike were all over it on the broadcast, too. They know they knew he only needed one assist, and so it was hilarious to see Blake kind of get the ball and just, like, wait for someone to cut. Like, come on, guys, let's do it. Uh, yeah, well, I wasn't watching the broadcast, but it couldn't have been more clear that, A, he was doing it, and, B, he got over it quickly, but he was like a little aggrieved when he got taken off the court yeah. uh, and assist short of that triple-double. Uh, Chris was close to his own as well. 24 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists, no turnovers. Jeez, point God is real. Uh, and JJ, another good shooting night. Are, are we officially um, lowering the danger JJ level from like code orange to like code yellow? Or, or how, how are we feeling? Definitely. I, I thought he looked good in that road back-to-back, but looked even better tonight. Um, you know, a lot of the points he was getting against San Antonio looked great, but they were untraditional J.J. points. He was driving. He was finishing at the rim. Tonight was, like, classic J.J. He had a couple feet-set threes. He hit a couple curls, you know, where he's coming off that back screen. Uh, that was the full J.J. repertoire. Um, I'm curious, D.J., what do you think about the defense? This has always been a top 10, top 5 defense yeah. in Doc's regime, mm-hmm. but it's never been a top 3 defense. Do you think this is real and sustainable or more product of particular early season opposition? Uh, I think it's a small sample size, and maybe I'm just not a believer. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like... This is a big enough sample size to say that the Clippers are are the best defensive team in the league at this point. Um, That being said, they have looked really good on that end. And I think there is some value to having this this, uh, label as being the top defensive team in the league. Because I think every night maybe you focus more and try and live up to that hype, if that makes any sense. I think it does, and even though Andrew Hahn's not with us tonight, I think this is the point in the podcast where I have to mention how good Luke was again tonight. Oh, no. (laughs) Like, just being at the game, and I was sitting next to Andrew Hahn, and so he wouldn't let me stop looking at Luke. He made me only watch Luke for, like, four, five, six possessions in a row. And, look, Marcus Morris is not 
one of the great wings in the league. But to have a guy where you can just put him on the opposing three and say, your job tonight is simple. It's not a lot of switching actions. You're not covering the point guard. Just totally take this guy out of the offensive flow. Yeah. And he did. You yep. know, like he blanketed Marcus Morris to the point where the only things he could get were some kind of low percentage ISO, create your own shot stuff. That's such a valuable thing. And if the passing is going to look like it looked tonight, you just don't need that much out of him offensively. Right. And against a team like the Pistons that relies so much on a 1-5 pick and roll, uh, guess what? The Clippers' best defenders are at the 1 and the 5. So that almost, like, neutralizes that option. And it just seemed like to me that once Detroit realized they couldn't get anything going in the pick and roll, that, that their spirits kind of died and they had nothing left to go to offensively. In part because, like you said, Luke matched up well against Marks Morris, Tobias Harris. They really had no option offensively after that pick-and-roll died. Yeah, look, and Blake played really uh, good one-on-one defense against Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. As you've noticed, you've noticed since the first game, like, Blake seems energized defensively this year. Yep. Uh, there seems to be kind of a possession-by-possession possession focus that hasn't always been there during regular season games for Blake. Do you think... All right, let me ask you this. So the Clippers have the top defense. Let's assume, and it's in a crazy assumption, but let's assume they keep this up for the whole year, that they finish as the top defense in the league. Does that mean DeAndre Jordan, defensive player of the year, or would you give it to Chris Paul? Like, so far through seven games, if you had to choose who's been the better defender, who would you give it to? Well, that's a great question. I, I think Chris's defense has always been really kind of underrated. Mm-hmm. probably because he doesn't leap off the page athletically, certainly not anymore, and it's very much positional and forcing guys to take shots that they don't want to take and not to get to their spots. You know, I think Chris is maybe the best in the league at knowing where other point guards want to get to and keeping them from it. That being said, DeAndre has gone full. To, to me, the person he looks like most at this point is like prime Tyson Chandler. You know, the way that he's back there commanding a defense and talking consistently and barking at his guys and yelling at Blake or Luke to watch for the switch or whatever it is, like, it's really impressive for those of us who've watched DeAndre for seven or eight years. And for a lot of those years, we always wondered, hey, he's got these athletic gifts, but is he ever going to have that Tyson Chandler, Kevin Garnett ability to captain a defense? Right. And we're watching it now. I mean, he's out there every night telling guys where to go and just kind of commanding the paint. Um, I haven't looked at, like, the sports view numbers so far this year in terms of what the percentage is of shots that he's within three feet of or in the paint when he's in the paint. Do you know if they're as good as, basically, do they confirm the eye test that he's better than ever? You know, I haven't looked at him either, but I'd imagine uh, that they are. It, it just feels like the Clippers aren't really allowing any points in the paint ever this year, right? <laughs> Um, so uh, a lot of that is obviously, you know, put on DeAndre's shoulders for kind of carrying the load. I agree with you. I think that big man defense in general has a better, has a bigger impact on the game than point guard do defensively. So I would lean towards DeAndre in that question that I'm now asking myself. Um, I just think rim protection is such a big deal now and, Having a guy who can switch on to multiple defenders and hedge and kind of blow up pick and rolls like DeAndre can, 
Um, it's just this huge asset for the Clippers, and I think when we see them play more playoff-type teams in the Western Conference, the top-tier teams, that's going to be a huge factor of just his ability to be mobile. Uh, Golden State doesn't have that guy. I mean, Draymond can can do a lot, but he's not a true rim protector because of his size. So DeAndre kind of makes the Clippers unique in a way that a lot of other teams aren't. Yeah, and look, I think we saw that uniqueness maybe most of the season in the first half against Memphis. You know, DeAndre's ability to be kind of a traditional paint-guarding center is one thing, but the way that he was able to frustrate Marcus Gasol in that game mm-hmm. and kind of track him wherever he wanted to go. If Marcus Gasol wanted to end up at the top of the key for a three, DeAndre's more than comfortable of getting there with him at this point and kind of having that confidence that he knows when to make a beeline back to the paint. And I think that's that that clock in a center's head that we just never knew if DeAndre was ever going to develop. And somewhere in the last two years, he now really has it. Yep. I think being in this defensive system now for a couple of years has helped quite a bit. It's a maturity thing too. Um, people forget centers tend to develop a lot later than guards and wings. And that's especially true defensively. Because there's just so much to control as a backline defender, and I, I think it's I, I think it's legit that DeAndre has improved a lot defensively this year. And if you're gonna credit anyone for the first, you know, these first seven games of the Clippers being the top defense in the league, I would I would give it to DeAndre's improvement more than anything else. Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. And then, you know, the, the reserves continue to impress on that end, too. You know, these are guys who I think we knew would be fun offensively. They've got a lot of obvious gunners. Mm, sorry about that. <laughs> that was, uh, a moment for the mute button. Oh, do we got a game going on? It sounded like I heard whistles, a horn. Uh, yeah, we have children. Oh, I love uh, Out on the court. Uh, it looks like the red children versus the blue children. Oh, a classic battle. Classic battle. Uh, but I'm not sure if this is some kind of league championship. I mean, these are small kids. I'd say eight, nine years old. It's also uh, a mixed, mixed gender. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know how competitive this is as we get underway. Yeah, do some scouting for me. I'm a high school basketball coach now, so if you see any any standouts. Uh, I, will, I will tell you this. Hernandez has the compression shirt underneath the jersey which tells me that he's a serious player that's that's usually a good sign although if i saw if i saw that kid at uh the local gym playing pickup ball i would be concerned i would be very concerned i think we're about to have oh the very first play hernandez took the ball down the court and went for a behind the back dribble it didn't turn out well but even the (laughs) Kind of let's go for that on the first play of the game was impressive. You know, that's a, that's what we call a good turnover. <laughs> exactly. Not a mental mistake, just a physical mistake. Yeah, he's just learning. So I put the call out on Twitter uh, tonight for basically asking, here's a question I asked, what's the worst beating or loss you've ever taken? The worst beating or loss you've ever taken. So I'm going to read some of the responses. Um, I figured it was fitting to talk about the worst losses on a night that the Clippers well, what, beat the Pistons by a million. Ugh. Is Han's that Andrew? Here. It's Han. <laughs> Does he have a ukulele with him? He's ukulele free. 
Is he done stalking Luke in the locker room? Is that why he's here now? I was, I was in the locker room stalking Luke. Did you like just like give him your number and you're like, anytime's a good time? Uh, I mean, it's well beyond that. It's it's far beyond that. I'm, every time people are confused, like, what are you doing in the locker room? It's like, oh, I want to have ask Luke a question they're like of course you do <laughs> so that's, that's is he sick of you yet or is he just excited that someone's asking him a question <laughs> no I think he's just confused because I, I just keep asking about defense but I don't necessarily want to get too specific so he gives me like weird in between answers where it's like not specific but also not vague you'll you'll wear him down um, I'm imagining or at least I'd like to imagine that Andrew spends half of each workday at ESPN like typing up proposals for the highest up bosses for like Lukumba Mute magazine cover stories, Lukumba Mute the body issue, thirty for thirties, thirty for thirties, <laughs> swimsuit. You know, like sometimes they'll put some guys in the back of the swimsuit issue, just as much Luke as possible. I could I could easily see that being the case. It's it's really become a very like swim fan type thing so, for you. I will I will share this one thing though is that JJ was taking questions. JJ was taking questions uh, in the locker room, not in the like the podium thing that the Clippers have become accustomed to doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people were asking, like, you know, does it feel any different? Does this season, you guys are off to a hot start, and the expectations for this team have been high the past few seasons, but this is really the first season where very early in the season, they look exactly the way the expectations are for the team. Um, he downplayed all of it, saying you know, the typical courteous answers with the comments that uh, it's early in the season, they haven't quite clicked yet, they want to keep on improving, um, it, they're doing well for, for where they are right now, but they can certainly get better. But he did make an interesting comment, saying that uh, the Clippers entered the season with the intent of being a top defense in terms of identity, ah. which I feel like is not something that they've talked about before. Two seasons ago, three seasons ago, Doc would make all of these kinds of oblique references to identity, saying that the team is really close to figuring out who they were and who they wanted to be, and then they never quite got there. Um, and then, and then uh, they never quite achieved that goal. And I think the entire time, everyone would agree that their identity was Lob City. Yeah. Lob City was the identity of the Clippers. Right. But far and away the number one team in terms of defensive efficiency this year. And I think it is not a stretch to say that the Clippers have quietly, under the nose of the entire league, morphed themselves into a defensive team. They were, I think, number four at the end of the regular season last year. They're number one um, by by miles so far this year, yeah, um, that's that might be despite all of the firepower and pyrotechnics and spectacular dunks that they put on, that might be the way we have to start thinking of them going forward. Andrew, yes, don't use don't use my podcast to justify your credential. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your own podcast for that. Trying to act like a real reporter out here. Get out of here. You hurt his feelings. He actually like, <laughs> took off the earpiece, and I think he's leaving now. He's out now that I've insulted him. <laughs> that was it. Andrew Hong, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Did he really leave? When I come on. I try and impart some kind of like specific information that I can, I can contribute into this conversation, and then you roundly ridicule me 
and you tell me not to promote myself at all, which I don't feel like I was doing, and now I'm just going to go... I'm going to go see if I can find Luke or Sulk or something. I don't know. <laughs> Andrew Hahn, chop liver. Andrew Hahn, thanks for coming on the show, bud. Yeah. By the way, he's taking this joke to, like, Andy Kaufman levels performance art. He's actually walking away. I, I hope that you guys rode to the gym together and that he'll need to come back at some point. <laughs> oh, that kid went behind the back again. That kid's a monster. Uh, he's a total gunner. He won't stop shooting. He can't make a shot. But, boy, he's got great handles. So, the Clippers a defensive team. You're buying it? Uh, I, I am buying it. Look, I don't know if I'm buying number one in the league. Um but, you know, there are certain themes that we come back to every year, and one of them is continuity. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of an interesting contrast that, again, tonight, you saw it in the Golden State game against the Pelicans. They are struggling defensively to look like they are, quote, on a string the way they have for the last two years. Right. And there is something, I think, too, just the idea that this Clipper team, they've played with each other now for, for four years. The Obviously, the X Factor is Luke and Bob Mute. They've only played it for a year and a half, but... He's a defensive stalwart. You know there's no uh, M Bob. Andrew, by the way, is standing <laughs> just out of range of the microphone, critiquing the way I'm pronouncing Luke Bamute. He needs to be stopped. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> he's, a, he's a monster. He's on Luke's payroll. Uh, uh, anyway, getting back to the questions from Twitter, what was what was being asked? Oh, what yeah, sorry. Uh, so, no, I, I asked... Our, our Twitter followers to uh, weigh in on what the worst beating or loss that they've ever taken is. I figured with Detroit getting stomped, it's a good time to to put these out. Everyone's in a good mood because the Clippers won by 40. So let's revisit some terrible moments. Nick Flint says that he once threw six interceptions in a game of NCAA football 2005, which which is terrible. I'm hoping that he was playing an online opponent and not the computer. And you know what? He plays as Alabama, too, I'm pretty sure. And six interceptions as Alabama is completely unacceptable. Run the ball, Nick. Um, Ben Leibowitz says he played in the YMCA Summer League as a youngster. There weren't enough teams, so they drove up the state champs from Mesa, Arizona to play his team. Says the other team couldn't full court press until the fourth quarter, and they did it anyways and won by 40. Uh, no, they, when they were beating them by 40, they ended up winning 56 to four. Um, Jordan, have you ever been on, on the bad side of a really terrible beating like that? So two stories come to mind. One is a basketball story that I think you'll find is kind of funny. When I was in ninth and 10th grade, I was briefly playing in a, an all Jewish JCC basketball league for like Southwest Connecticut. And obviously what was great about this league was people who weren't very good at basketball could could play a lot of minutes. <laughs> um, but there started being this cheating arms race where our team, I'm ashamed to say, started it. We started bringing like some other non-Jewish players from our town along, like kids with names like Sean Mulcahy and Bobby Lynch. Totally not okay. And then claiming that they had uh, like Jewish grandmothers. <laughs> but this just started... Um, it started kind of like a domino effect where other teams started bringing in like first other kind of dorky looking white dudes. And then slowly it became just anyone you knew at your school. And then it became the actual basketball players at your school. 
and it was kind of like, I mean, it was like a Zucker Brothers movie joke where it became teams that were like one Jewish kid playing point guard, uh, you know, two Latino kids from Bridgeport, a black kid who was like a state level basketball champ and Bobby Lynch would be holding down the starting five. And uh, my team started it, but we ended up on the wrong side of like a total 40, 50 point beatdown in the JCC championship against three kids who went on to play for UConn the next year. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> it was just a totally what-have-we-done moment for you. Which was really funny and a really funny comeuppance. Um, and a lot of kids that just eye test would tell you probably not Jewish. Um, so that's one. And Wait, then, save, uh, save the second one. Okay, I'll save the second save one. Save the second yeah. one. There needs to be two. That's, one, that's hilarious. No, no, no. Save the second one because you're going to add it after these other Twitter ones. Um, Vinny uh, tweets, he says, he lost an intramural basketball game at San Diego State to a team that only had four guys. They played zone and the final score wasn't even close. <laughs> I can't say I've lost to a four-man team, but I, as I've played in a lot of rec leagues. I have seen it happen before. And it's always hilarious. It's even more hilarious if someone from the team that lost to four guys brought a family member or a girlfriend to the game. <laughs> that does make everything funnier. It does. Um, Last Curse Standing uh, Twitter here says, He got sucker punched. He was out cold for a few minutes. He had to go to the emergency room. It cost him $2,000. He was hungover the next day, and he missed a Beastie Boys concert because of it. That's that's just like a series of terrible events, all from one sucker punch. That is. I, I've been sucker punched. Uh, I was sucker punched on senior skip day, my senior year of high school, by oh. who thought I was responsible for getting him kicked off the wrestling team. Uh, knocked me out cold. I still, I still get floaties in my left eye from it. Really? Um, yeah, 20 years later. Man. That's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. That's not even really much of a story. Just sucker punch, man. I didn't think it was right. It's not right. Sucker punching is never right. Um, let's see. Who else we got here? Uh, the high school that Dylan Rice-Leary coached at had 80 kids total. They drove two hours to play um, a JV team of a school that had 400 kids. Their coach played their varsity bench instead. They cherry-picked all night. And him and his assistant coach eventually just tried to get tossed from the game. <laughs> I feel like that's the response when you're totally getting smashed. Like, me and my brother used to play Madden relentlessly growing up. And anytime I would get down by, like, 28 or 35, I would just completely throw in the towel and, like, run through the back of the end zone for safeties and just extend the game to make it, like, annoying for him that he was winning. It was just a terrible loser. Uh, all the way around. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I was a famously bad loser in my family. I was known for flipping Monopoly boards if it became obvious that I was going to go bankrupt. <laughs> and just ending the game right there. Just ending the game. Say, oh, I don't know where those hotels were. Earthquake. <laughs> oh, well, earthquake. Game over. <laughs> uh, Lane says that his uh, biggest loss or beatdown was... When his three-year-old corrected him on how to spell the color orange. <laughs> That's tough. That is a tough break. Uh, Brandon Tomioy says he wanted uh, parents to in- he wanted his parents to invest his savings in Intel stock in 1997. They wouldn't, and I didn't know what I was doing. 
Pentium 2 launched for launched months after, and yeah, so that sucked for me. Yeah, uh, it's crazy that you had the idea to get in on that, and your parents shot it down, and now you all could be rich, but it's your parents' fault. That's not, not necessarily a loss for Brandon, though. So much it's just like a lifelong resentment against your... Uh, financially foolish parents <laughs> right right not so much of a loss for you brandon i mean maybe right now you just hate your parents uh let's see what else we got here that's it all right so my i'm gonna share my biggest loss beatdown and then I'm, I'm getting you to you for your second one um i've lost a lot of basketball games by a lot of points i'm a coach um and i had a team one of my teams go 13 minutes scoreless uh, 13 straight minutes without without a score to start the game. That wasn't great. Um, but the biggest beatdown by far I've ever had in my life was the first time I decided to play my wife in Boggle. Um, I thought, yeah, I'm, I know words. I'm going to be good at this. I mean, I've played Boggle every now and then. Like, yeah, this is going to be good. I, I'm, I'm a writer. This is, this is right up my alley in games that I should be good at. Um, it turns out my wife is like the greatest boggle player of all time and she's never lost to anyone that she's ever played and the way that she was just frantically scribbling words down at this insane pace while I was struggling to get like 20 points uh, it, it was like the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me and we kept playing multiple rounds because I was in awe of her freakishness boggle skills I've never also, lost that, a game like, that bad. Some games of Boggle, nothing is more unnerving. Same thing goes for categories. Than when you're sitting there chewing on the end of your pencil and the other person is just flying through words. Like you don't know what they're writing down, but you can see that they're just writing constantly. And you're trying to figure out like one more four-letter word. That's the worst. Dude, I was so shook. I was so sh I had no idea what I was getting myself into and like I had kind of thought she had told me she was really good, but I was kind of like, yeah, you know, you probably just think you're really good at all kinds of stuff. I'm a writer. I know words. <laughs> nope. <laughs> just got trash. All right, let's hear your, uh, let's hear yours here. So I guess this is less a team or even a score beatdown, but more just one of those moments in life where you are beaten down by your own idiocy. <laughs> uh, I played rugby at college after I realized I wasn't good enough to be a D1 wrestler. And a really weird tradition we had at the Columbia rugby team was during the winter semester after our last game, so maybe early December, we would play a game of Midnight Drunken Rugby. That was like the actual name of the event. Oh, boy. Um, and it describes both the time and the state of mind in which this game of rugby is played. And uh, so it was midnight, and I was drunken. And on the <laughs> very first play, like the kickoff of the rugby game, I took the kick and I headed up field, and of course my inhibitions and sense of risk were lowered by being drunken. Uh, and essentially I ran at a line of the biggest kids on the team, and I was kind of gang-tackled, and I just felt both collarbones break as I was lying on the bottom of this oh. dog pile. And I just remember being like, look, I'm, I'm too drunk for this to hurt, uh, but I need everyone to get off of me because I, I just broke both my collarbones. Um, and then I had to get carried by the rest of the team seven blocks down Broadway to Never. St. Luke's Hospital. <laughs> no, wait, did you really break your collarbones? Oh, yeah, I broke both collarbones. <laughs> and really, the, 
low moment of the night wasn't the breaking of the collarbones because again, I was completely like semi blackout drunk and didn't feel anything. Sure. But I remember having to explain to the nice lady in the emergency room like how it came about and just like the look in her eyes as I was trying to explain like we're a rugby team, it's a tradition, we get really drunk and then when it's dark we play a game of rugby and uh, through this experience I've broken both my collarbones. Uh, that was a real low point. Wow, that is a fun fact. I did not know that you... Breaking both is like medically impossible i'm pretty sure uh yeah look i can still i can still throw underhand rugby style but i can no longer like throw a football or a baseball to this day wow yeah i never healed right i never got my like rotator cuff motion back and you didn't get like a rookie of the year thing going on where the surgery magically like made you an awesome pitcher uh i did not and maybe because i instead of like getting surgery or keeping the splint i was a college kid and i just decided it'll heal fine if i don't do anything to try to make it better it's gonna be fine just drink more <laughs> just drink more and uh yeah now i can't move my arm in overhand throwing motions that's a pretty big loss are <laughs> you really brought it with the loss stories and something tells me you have like a couple more just like reserved that that you easily could have gone with yeah, let's play this game again after the next blowout loss. Yeah, and for I'll have sure. Two more for you. Okay, perfect. All right, we're gonna wrap it up. I did have one tweet worth mentioning, um, and I know you'll enjoy this since you're at the actual game, Jordan. Quote of the night from Ralph Lawler in regards to Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope. He said, "He's missed everything but the team bus tonight." Ralph, Ralph. Look, he's a legend for a reason. Hey, that's man. a Hall of Famer, folks. That's just that's just A plus announcing there. Uh, all right, Jordan. Anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, no. Andrew Hahn and I are heading into episode three of the ESPN Clipper podcast this week. Yeah, buddy. Subscribes to that as well. Uh, but other than that, I'm I'm plug free right now. All right, I'm plug. Here, I'm here. I'm here for you, not to plug my own life, DJ. <laughs> I just, I just thought I'd give you the opportunity because I felt bad for you because you can't raise your arms over your head. It's okay. The person you should feel bad for is my future son and daughter, and the games of cats they'll never get to enjoy. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, for Jordan Heimer, I'm DJ Foster. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Clippers podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us if you have questions for the show. Email me at fosterdj3 at gmail.com or tweet me at Fox Sports Foster. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back tomorrow. Take care. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. 
Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.